Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. This is our Juventus review episode, and I'm joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is joining us all the way from France. You might recall his episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide. He was also the winner of our Bet Stamp jersey giveaway. Pal, welcome back to Forza Napoli. Hello, Joe. Thanks for welcoming me back. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, how can we not be happy yeah, exactly. after <laughs> we just obliterated Juventus 5-1 to at the Stadio Maradona? That is what this episode is going to be all about. As I'm sure everyone is already aware, we got goals from Victor Osimen, who scored a brace, Chavicha Kvaraschelia, Amir Rachmani, and Elif Elmas. Angel Di Maria scored the lone goal for Juventus, assisted, of course, by Arkadush Milik. I want to start with a very simple question, Paul. You're a young man. You're certainly younger than I am. But yeah. was this the best Napoli match that you've ever seen? I think that, first of all, my favorite match of the season is the one against Liverpool because I wasn't thinking that we would be playing so well against a great team like Liverpool. This match against Juventus, I was fearing that we would get a draw or a defeat because we lost to Inter. So I was appreciating that we won and that we were destroying the, the rival, obviously. But I think Juventus played very bad. I liked more the game against uh, Liverpool because I was really shocked by our performance. But uh, obviously, uh, beating the rival is always something special. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's what gives it a bit of extra weight is that rivalry with Juventus. You mentioned the win over Liverpool earlier this season. We've had some pretty amazing results in the Champions League over the years. The one that comes to mind for me is the 3-1 win over Chelsea in 2011-12. I mean, that was we had just gotten back to the Champions League. So the same kind of shock factor as the win over Liverpool earlier this season where you're not really expecting much and then we pull something out like that again at the Maradona, then the San Paolo. The 1-0 win over Liverpool in 2018-19 was another one. We also drew PSG twice that year. Of course, there was the Koulibaly tackle on Mbappe, which (laughs) was probably uh, something that you saw a lot over there in France. In Serie A, there was the win over Juventus in 2017-18. That was very late in the season. With that win, we were only one point back of Juventus with only four matches to play. Koulibaly scoring the only goal, of course. I'd say that this win is right up there with that win in 2017-18. It might not have carried as much weight because it wasn't as late in the season. And that win in 17-18 was in Torino. This one, it was in the middle of the season. So technically speaking, it was not decisive, but it really did feel like it was a decisive match. Had we lost, Juventus would have reduced the gap to only four points with the return leg still to be played in Torino. Instead, we walked away from this match 10 points clear of Juve and thanks to Lecce, nine points clear of Milan. And then you have to consider the way that we won this match. This was not just a win. This was a statement to all of Serie A that this team is for real. Had we just eked out a win here, I don't think that just about every pundit and expert out there would be throwing in the towel on behalf of the rest of the league. It was also a statement to Napoli fans around the world that this Napoli has a different mentality than the Napoli that came close in recent seasons but seemed to buckle under the pressure. It was our widest margin of victory over Juve in the league. We beat them 5-0 in the 1977-78 Coppa Italia and 5-1 in the 1990-91 Supercoppa Italiana. But this was the first time we won by this type of margin in the league. It was only the second time that we've scored five goals against Juventus in Serie A. The last time was in the 88-90 season. Believe it or not, Maradona did not score a single goal in that match. Caracas scored a tripleta. And then Andrea Carnevale and Alessandro Renica scored the other two. Now, a lot of the chatter after the match was about two players in particular, and deservedly so. Victor Osimen and Javicha Carasgelia combined to score three goals and tallied three assists in this match. Pal, surely this is now the most dangerous strike duo in Serie A and perhaps in all of Europe. Yeah, so first of all, speaking about the uh, best players against Juventus, I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Lobotka, who was playing very well. So, yeah, Vara and uh, Ozyman were playing extremely good. I think Ozyman is the top goal scorer in Serie A. He also has a goal in the Champions League, even though he, he missed many games. I also saw that Vara became the third player to have seven goals and seven assists in the top five leagues of Europe together with Messi and Neymar so it means a lot because they are obviously great players. I think obviously that we have the best duo in Serie A. Now talking about Europe I'll also like a lot the Odgaard Saka vibe in Arsenal. The connection between 
Holland and De Bruyne is great too. So I think that this duel between Ozman and Kavarskhelia has a lot of potential and we can still see it improving because, well, they have played a lot of games together now. But as I said before, Ozman missed some games. So I want to see this duo in, um, in Champions League against Frankfurt, for example, hoping that we can reach the uh, quarterfinals. And I hope they will keep doing fantastic in big matches like against Juventus. Yeah, the interesting thing is the Odegaard-Saka combination or the De Bruyne-Holland combination both involve a midfielder, right? And, you know, in a way, it's easier for a midfielder to combine with an attacker because one is specifically their role is playmaking, the other is goal scoring. Although I think you can probably make a similar case for wingers that are more meant to be playmakers than goal scorers, but Cavada is scoring quite a bit as well. The pair have combined for 22 goals and 16 assists in all competitions this season, 19 goals and 13 assists in Serie A, three goals and three assists in the Champions League. As you said, those numbers are even more remarkable when you consider that both players have missed time due to injury. Osiman missed six matches in all competitions with a thigh injury, and Cavada missed three matches with that lower back pain he had right before the World Cup break. On Victor, I think we're witnessing, or we may have witnessed, a boy becoming a man this season, so to speak. He seems to have matured both mentally and physically. He still does his share of complaining to the officials, but he seems to know where the line is and not to cross it. He's no longer doing things to get himself sent off, though he almost did by accident. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But he's not doing things like taking off his shirt after he scores. With many of the club's leaders departing this summer, I think Spalletti's put some of that responsibility on Victor And I think he's embracing it, that leadership role within the club, both on the field and off the field. Spalletti has clearly developed him as a player as well. When Osimhen first came to Napoli, his biggest asset was his pace, and it still is. But last season, he suddenly emerged as a really dangerous aerial threat. Both of the goals he scored in this match were with his head. And now this year, he seems to have improved his strength as well. You can't see it. In his physique, he still has that sort of long, slender, kind of lanky frame, but you do see it in his play. Like the goal he scored against Roma was the perfect example of the strength that he has to out-muscle Chris Malling on that play. And when you put all of that together, also combined with his football IQ, which is also very impressive, this guy is an absolute nightmare for defenders. Bremer was tasked with marking Osiman in this match, and Bremer is a fantastic defender, but he really struggled with Osiman. I think the second goal was the perfect example of that. It was almost as if Bremer was so concerned about Osiman getting behind him that he turned his back on the ball, and then, of course, it bounced off of him. Osiman pounces on the ball and sets up Cavada for the second goal of the match. Had he stayed focused on the ball there, then Bremer probably just needs to head it away and... I think that shows what Osiman is doing to defenders right now. In terms of his IQ, he seems to know exactly when he needs to drop and when he needs to make a run. When our defense was under pressure, he would come back into the Napoli half and they'd find him and he'd just lay the ball out to the wings and we'd sort of regain composure and take control of the ball. So all of these little things are making him really, really difficult to mark. And there's also been this theory floating around that Osiman doesn't score in big matches. Well, 
this season alone, he scored against Roma, Atalanta, and now a brace against Juventus. So I think that theory can be dismissed as well. Kvaratelia silenced his doubters once again. He literally silenced them with his goal celebration. There was this concern that he might have been out of form after returning from his back injury and with the long World Cup break. Inter shut him down by simply taking him out every time he got the ball, which was another check on that list of comparisons to Maradona, although that happened to Maradona pretty much every single match, and he still did what he did, which just shows you how great Maradona was. Cavada didn't really stand out against Sampdoria, so a lot of people, myself included, started to wonder if maybe he was struggling a little bit. You know, for all his talent, he is still very young. Cavada put those doubts to bed pretty quickly. He absolutely tormented Danilo on Juve's right side. One of the big criticisms of Max Allegri after the match was that he played Federico Chiesa as a right wing back in the 3 5 1 1. We know from the end of his time at Fiorentina under Beppe Iacchini that Chiesa does not excel in a wing-back role. And a broader criticism of Allegri was that he seemingly abandoned what was working during Juve's win streak, which was playing his youngsters like Miretti, Fagioli, and Sule. Personally, I think he only played the kids because Juve had so many injuries that he didn't have much choice. For this match, he started a midfield of Kostic, Rabiot, Locatelli, McKenney, and Chiesa. And I think the hope was that McKenney would support that side of the park and be the physical presence to slow Cavada down. So Chiesa, McKenney, and Danilo were tasked with stopping Cavada. And that's a pretty far cry from the Inter players who were tasked with stopping Cavada in that match. Simone Inzaghi specifically started Matteo Darmian over Denzel Dumfries because Darmian is a better defender. Inzaghi played Milan Skriniar on the right side of his back three, and he had Nicolo Barella as that roaming midfielder to provide some additional physicality in the midfield. Defensively, I think all three of those Inter players are better than the Juve players that were tasked with marking Cavada. Darmian is a better defender than Chiesa. He's not a better player, but defensively, I think he's better than Chiesa. Barella is better than McKenney in all respects with all you know with all due respect to our American listeners I don't think anyone would deny that comparison between Barella and McKenney and then Skriniar is probably better suited I mean he's one of the best in his positions and he's certainly more physical than Danilo Cavada exposed that difference in quality especially in the second half I think when his confidence was up after he scored that goal in the first half we saw a lot of dribbles past Danilo I think it also helped that Mario Rui was playing at left back so he could provide a little bit of protection to Cavada we really missed that Katsima in the Inter match the fourth goal simply doesn't happen if Mario Rui isn't chasing what appeared to be a lost cause in the corner of the park The other difference between the Inter defense and the Juve defense is just the size of that back three. Inter had Bastoni, Acerbi, Skriniar, who are all giants, so they were able to force us wide to play the cross because they knew that once we crossed that ball into the area, those three were probably going to win the aerial duels. Because of Juve's injury situation, they played a back three of Alexandro, Bremer, and Danilo. Now, Bremer is a big guy, but Alexandro and Danilo are not. So that gave Osimhen a distinct advantage in the air. Any thoughts on that? That was pretty long from me in terms of Osimhen and Cavada, but any comments on that before we move on to Amir Rachmani? I think that 
Alexandro and uh, Danilo, as you said, had a horrible game. That really defines the difference between the Napoli Juventus and uh, Inter Napoli games, because the three defenders of Inter could really make it that Osman didn't have any any ball to play and that he couldn't score. And the opposite, Alexandro and Danilo were looking horrible on the field. You talked about the aerial duels, but even talking about speed, contacts and uh, physicality, they weren't playing well. I remember one action similar to the Roma game, when Osman is accelerating on the on the right side of the field, when Alexandro was doing absolutely nothing to push him to make an error. Unfortunately, Osman didn't give the pass to Zielinski, so we couldn't score, but it showed that it was really, really easy for Ozyman to put fire in the defense and they really struggled to defend on Ozyman. And what I liked in the performance of Ozyman is that on the Gvaro goal, he could have the occasion to shoot and maybe score, but he made the right choice to give a good pass to Gvara. And I think that's something that maybe he wouldn't have done one year ago or even six months ago. So I think that he's really maturing and he's being more dangerous to other uh, defenders in Serie A and even Champions League. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about Amir Rachmani, we'll talk about Alex Meret, Eli Felmas, and then a few interesting points of view from the Juventus perspective. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at our website at ForzaNapoliPress.com. Okay, pal, they say that you can't become a Napoli legend without scoring a goal against Juventus, and both Osimen and Cavada scored their first ever goals against the Bianconeri in this match. In Cavada's case, it was his first ever match against Juventus. I think for Osimen, it was his third or fourth match against them. Another player who scored his first ever goal against Juventus was Amir Rachmani. Pal, he couldn't have had a better start to the second half after having what was a very difficult first half. Yeah, he had a very difficult first half, as you said. He even almost scored an OG um, goal against uh, his side. So thanks to Merritt for saving this. I think that he wasn't playing well in the first half because you could see that he was missing uh, some balls. He was losing some duels. And even even Kim Min Jae lost a duel on that Di Maria goal, and it was it was fatal for our team. We considered the goal, so we are lucky that the errors made by Ramani weren't dangerous for us because they could have equalized, and the game would have been very different. We still have to give him credit for that goal because it, it was very important, and then we just played an incredible football, and uh, we completely destroyed them. But 
I'm a bit worried that he lost his very good form that he had in the first half of the season, which is understandable because he had an injury and didn't play for a long time. He didn't play the World Cup either. So yeah, I, I just think that he has to get back his marks to get back playing. And I think he will do better in the next games. Between the giveaway to Di Maria, which led to the Argentine hitting the frame of the goal, and then the near-own goal just before the break that you mentioned, Rachmani had a pretty forgettable first half. It reminded me of his very first league start, which was against Udinese a couple seasons ago. And that was the game where he played an errant pass back, and I think Kevin Lasagna got to the ball first and scored the opening goal of that match. What's interesting is Gennaro Gattuso, who was the coach at the time, pulled Rachmani from that Udinese match at halftime, which couldn't have been good for his confidence. Spalletti instead left Rachmani in, and of course he scored that third goal that you mentioned, which I guess you could say was the one that put this match to bed. Personally, I didn't feel comfortable until we scored the fifth goal, but that Rachmani goal was certainly a huge point in the match, and who knows, maybe that goal and the confidence he gets from him will help him you know, return to his form at the back as well. With that goal, 17 different players have scored for Napoli in all competitions this season, which is truly remarkable. I mentioned those two errors in the first half. One of the unsung heroes in this match was Alex Meret, who made just a ridiculous reaction save after Rachmani deflected Chiesa's cross towards his own goal. Paul, how important do you think that save was, given the time that it happened on the scoreline or just that general context of the match? Well, as I said before, it could have been a, a very different game if they scored, considering that it was just before the half time. So you can assume that Allegri would have made a, a great talking in the changing rooms. So they could have come back with a different mentality and who knows what would have happened because it would have gave them confidence. I think it just highlights the good season that Merritt is making, even though we weren't feeling too confident about him before the season started. All the Napoli fans wanted a new goalkeeper. Uh, we heard about Keylor Navas, etc. So Merritt is in, a, is in an incredible form right now. And yeah, we can see his full potential right now. I think every Napoli fan is just happy to see him playing that way because he will become a great goalkeeper and he still has great things to achieve trophies to win with Napoli, even the national team, maybe to compete with Donnarumma at the post of goalkeeper in the Nazionale. So he's playing incredible right now. I don't remember any bad performance from him. And he's one of the great, great men of the, the team. If I had to mention different players, I would talk about Ozimian, Vara, of course, Lobotka and Meret. On Killer Navas, he might actually be heading to Al Nasser. He's one of the players that's been reported to head over there to replace David Ospina, who unfortunately fractured his elbow at the weekend. But yeah, I think Meret has really stepped up as, as one of the key players for us. He did have that one goal he allowed, I think it was against Bologna, which was a bit of a weak one, but we managed to come back and win that match. The score was 2-1 to one at the point that he made that save. So had that ball gone in we would have gone into the break tied 2-2 after having a 2-0 lead. So I think that was really, really important. Like you said, who knows 
how we would have reacted after that. Historically, Juventus have been a very strong team psychologically, and historically, we have been a very weak team psychologically. I thought Juventus responded very well after both of our goals. Di Maria was easily their best player. He was probably the only player that Juventini thought had a good game. He hit the frame of the goal. He nearly assisted Milik with a perfect cross, but thankfully Milik's header was straight at Meret, and then he scored their only goal of the match. Most of those chances came during Juve's best spell of the match, which was a 10-15 to minute spell, starting with that first Di Maria chance, which was about midway through the first half. Napoli played with a really intense high press for the opening quarter of the match, which worked really well. Not that Juve wanted much of the ball to begin with, but they really struggled to keep hold of the ball. They often resorted to the long ball, which our center backs did a good job of eating up. And in some cases, they even just played the ball straight out to touch because they were feeling that pressure from our front line. So the press was effective. However, it seemed like we burnt out a little bit by the midway point of the half, and that's when Juve started to assert themselves. And by the end of the half, it felt like we just needed to get to the break so we could settle down, rest up a little bit, and then come out and have a strong second half. So thankfully, Meret's save allowed us to do that. Okay, the last Napoli player I want to talk about before we move on to a couple of points on Juventus is Elif Elmas. Pal, a few months ago, Elmas joked on Instagram that his first true love is the bench. At the time, I said he better perform when he gets his opportunities after making a comment like that, even if he was just joking. But to his credit, he really has stepped up when he's been called upon. Yeah, I think he's playing very good right now. The good thing is that he's being very decisive. I don't think he's doing incredible games every time he has minutes or he plays, but he always gets that goal. Uh, I think he has five goals in the league, so that's great. He has insane quality, and against Juventus, we saw that he could maybe compete with Politano and Lozano on that post of right winger because they are playing very bad. I just want to see him playing there, and I hope he can be decisive again in the race for the Scudetto. I would like to see him playing well, because when he arrived, I think it was three or four years ago, some time ago now, he was considered as a great wonder kid, and we didn't see all of his potential yet. I think that even from his point of view, he must be frustrated because... He didn't help the team enough in the precedent years. And I think what he's doing right now is very good. He's helping the team. Even when Kvara was injured, he stepped up and he made great performances. So I'm just happy to to see him performing that way. Yeah, it's easy to forget that he's still only 23 years old because, as you said, he joined three or four seasons ago. So he was pretty young when he started with Napoli. As you also said, that was already his fifth goal of the season. Yes, the shot took a bit of a fortuitous deflection, but the movement was excellent to get into that position to shoot, and generally good things happen when you shoot, so that's fine. That means this is already his most prolific Serie A season ever, and we're still only at the midway point of the season, and that's important as well because... You know, as great as this victory was, and you know, we all enjoyed it, and I said this on Twitter as well, we need to respond the same way we responded to our loss to Inter to this win over Juventus. And what I mean is that we can't let this get to our heads. There is a long way to go. You know, every match is worth three points, whether it's Juventus or Salernitana. We still need to 
to see this season out. And you suspect that guys like Elmas are going to prove to be important if we want to win the Scudetto because you never know what can happen with injuries and so on. I mentioned it's his most prolific season in Serie A. Last season, he scored seven goals, but three of them were in the Champions League, only four in Serie A. Ironically, my biggest issue with Elmas, which is through no fault of his own, was that he's never had a fixed position. And it's ironic because that now seems to be his greatest strength. He can play in so many different positions. Historically, he's played in the midfield as an alternative to, say, Zielinski. But when Cavada was injured, he covered for him on the left wing. And then when Politano was taken off at the half, Elmas was the guy that came off the bench, not Lozano, to play on the right wing, which I think in in hindsight is not necessarily a slight on Lozano. I think Spalletti was thinking ahead, knowing that he's probably going to bring Raspadori on or, or someone else, so or, or even Lozano, and then he can move Elmas to another position, which again, that the value of that flexibility that he offers. We're recording this podcast only a few hours before the Cremonese match in the Coppa Italia. So by the time this episode is published, that game will have already been played. But it seems like Elmas's flexibility will come in handy again because Diego Dem is not in the squad for this match because his daughter was born on Tuesday. And I believe Cavada was ruled out with the flu. So we're probably going to see Elmas get the start against Cremonese as well. Okay, so let's move on to two quick points about Juventus. One thing I saw a lot of Juventini complaining about on social media was Victor Osimhen's collision with Manuel Locatelli. Some people were calling it an uppercut, which I think is a bit of a stretch. Locatelli's lip was busted open, and though he continued to play, he was replaced early in the second half. Pal. Some Juventini thought that Osimhen should have been sent off for this. Do you think we got away with one there? Well, when this happened, I was really fearing that he would get a red card. Obviously, it could have been possible that he was sent off. I think we was we were lucky on this because usually, sometimes, I think we get bad treatment for Murphy sometimes. It's very discutable. Because we saw that some months ago, last year, he got a red card for a similar similar action. I think he, he hit a player during a corner, even though he wasn't looking at him. These are just moments when Ozyman is being angry and uh, he's being frustrated. So it can be dangerous sometimes. And yeah, I think he could have deserved at least a yellow card. That's for sure. Maybe a red card would have been too much. But if Locatelli was injured and he was replaced after that hit by Ozimin, I think that he would have been sent off for sure. So Ozimin was lucky on this, and uh, I hope it won't be repeated in the future. Yeah, it was very similar to the red card he got. It was the first game of last season, which was against Venezia. But, you know, I even thought back then that that was a harsh decision. So I think it would have been harsh to send him off in this case as well. It looked like Danilo had his arms draped all over Victor and he was just kind of trying to break free. And while he was doing that, Locatelli happened to be running by and the two of them collided. Now, I always say that intent doesn't matter. But to me, at worst, this is a yellow card offense. Not to muddy the waters, but in some cases, intent can be the difference between a yellow card and a red card. Like, there's a difference between this play 
And if Osiman had walked up to Locatelli and sucker punched him in the face, obviously in that example, it would have been a straight red card. The only difference between the two cases is intent. Speaking of which, if we're going to play that game, then I think you could equally argue that Danilo should have been shown a straight red card for putting his studs through Cavada right into what looked like the area of his Achilles moments before that collision between Osiman and Locatelli happened. I think what Danilo did there was far more dangerous. It was reckless and it could well have been intentional. And I can almost guarantee you, just like you said, if Locatelli had gotten hurt on this play and was taken out, then Osiman might've been sent off. Well, I can guarantee you that if Cavada got hurt on that slide tackle with Danilo, then Danilo would have been sent off. So for me, those two decisions probably cancel each other out, which is not how you want matches to be officiated. Obviously, you want them to just get the right decisions from the beginning. Okay, the last thing I want to chat about is Luciano Spalletti's very dramatic handshake with Max Allegri at the end of the match. What did you make of that whole situation? Well, I think it was very funny because before the game, in press conferences, they quite made fun of each other by uh, their declarations. I think that Allegri said that well, he didn't say it, but like the match was useless because Napoli were meant to win or something like that because they were running from the Scudetto. Well, obviously, he wasn't thinking this. It was just a tactic to get us not focused on the match. And Spalletti answered something similar to him. I don't remember, but it was quite funny to read those declarations. So Allegri won many times over Spalletti. So, yeah, I think Spalletti was just very happy to beat him because it doesn't happen so often. Allegri uh, was obviously very frustrated by the defeat. I don't know if he really uh, saw uh, Spalletti on his side, asking to shake hands. But uh, he gave us a great video. Yeah, it just sums up the match, frustration for the Juventus and joy for Naples because it was um, a win that we were really uh, waiting and that... That's one of the most important uh, matches of the season for us. So, yeah, I think with this funny thing, Spalletti is getting a bit more in the Napoli fans' heart. So, well, he's not doing this for nothing. He obviously has a goal in doing this. And, uh, yeah, right there we can just see, again, his uh, intelligence and his uh, like to make things for the camera and people talking about him. Yeah, there was definitely a bit of a war of words before the match. Allegri called Spalletti, uh, it's hard to translate, but I guess it like sort of like a zany character. He's a funny guy. And he said in his pre-match conference that uh, Juve's goal is top four, <laughs> which is, you know, funny to hear that. And then Spalletti responded saying that, you know, it's very easy to just sit everyone and to defend by just dropping everyone back. It's harder when, when you play more positive football. He said Allegri is the type of coach that will do anything to win, almost kind of alluding to that negative style of play, whereas in Napoli, and, and this is where he's pulling on the heartstrings of Napoli fans, he said, you know, in Napoli we play with heart and soul, and that's why... You know, I still yeah, hear. Play style is very important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he said that's why I, he still hears about people talking about Saudi ball all the time, even though you know we've had coaches like Benitez and and others who were good coaches. And and then he also said Allegri can dress it up all he wants. He he referred to the hat and beard, which you know, like he can he can put on a disguise if he wants. But we all know that Juventus's uh, primary goal 
is always to win the league and yeah, nothing else. There were also some interesting comments from Alessandro Del Piero after the match where, you know, sort of in the same vein, Del Piero said, this Napoli is basically in a league of their own and everyone else is in another league and Juventus are winning that league. <laughs> so, you know, I thought, I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. I, I guess that means that Napoli have won a number of these other leagues in, in the last decade where we finished in second place, but pretty far behind Juventus. Okay, that is all we have time for today, pal. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, Forza Napoli sempre. Excellent, yes, Forza Napoli for sure. You can find Paul on Twitter at Paulinho underscore 22. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. I will be back next week to quickly review the Cremonese match and to preview our final match of the first half of the Serie A campaign, which is against Salernitana. If I have time, I will provide an update on the Primavera as well, which was a request I got on Twitter. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.